Hello, today I'm here. I'm talking with Pedro from Peru, all the way from Peru. How are you today, Pedro? Okay, hello. Uh, very well, thank you. It's thank wonderful, you for the time. wonderful to be speaking with you. Yeah, it's great to be in contact and I hope we can go through a bit of our Roca Cow production process today. Yeah, well, as people might be aware, there's, there's a whole lot of... Um, I don't say controversy. Controversy is maybe too strong a word, but a whole, a whole lot of mystery, shall we say, around the whole world chocolate process. It was um, David Wolf, I believe, in two thousand and four, who was the first person to uh, start asking the producers in South America if they could produce world chocolate. And then it was just cacao beans, so things were a lot simpler. But as with the introduction of things like cacao powder and cacao butter and cacao liquor. You know, we've been selling these things. Our company, Royal Living, has been selling these things for yeah over ten years, and we've always found it very difficult to ascertain truly what's wrong and what's not. So we were so overjoyed. I think is is a is not too strong a word. We were overjoyed to connect with you and find someone who really um, cared about all this, all the all the actual rawness and the temperature that things are heated at. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your how long you've been in business and and what what you produce with your company? Um, our company has ten years uh, has been ten years today uh, this year. We founded it in two thousand and seven. We've always been very committed to to raw production in general. We uh, besides cacao, we also do dried fruits, and we base our dehydration facilities. Uh, 3,000 meters above sea level, where pressure is lower and air is drier, that requires less energy to, to dry. So we can get uh, raw fru- fruits, uh, like raw golden berries or raw mango, uh, very easy. Okay, let's, easily. Just, let's just go over that again, because I think that's a really important point for people. So because it's so high up, there's there's less water in the air, and so you can dry at lower temperatures. Yes, there's two components. Uh, one is the atmospheric pressure and one is the air. For example, if you boil water in London, you would have to boil it at 100 degrees Celsius. Uh-huh. If you boil, boil it on the top of Mount Everest, you would uh, boil it at 80 degrees Celsius. Yeah. You, you require less temperature to break the liquid structure and turn it into, in, into vapor, uh-huh. basically because of the less atmospheric pressure. We have some of that. We're not as high as Mount Everest, obviously, but we're 3,000 meters above sea level. Okay. That requires. That means that we require less temperature to 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 dehydrate, to, to evaporate water. And the second component is that the air is drier, and the air is finally the carrier that will pick up the water from the fruit and take it away. And the air is like a sponge. So if you have a very dry sponge. That would that that sponge would have greater absorption power power mm. than if you got hold of a sponge that's already wet or with high humidity. So, for example, in the, the uh, dried uh, organic raw mango, most uh, oh, maybe I can say all the, the the mango dryers dehydrate the mango next to the mango fields, which uh, are very tropical. So it's high humidity, low uh, altitude. So I think we're the only crazy people that are getting hold of the mango from a tropical area, lifting it up to 3,000 meters above sea level, and then dehydrating it up, 
up in the mountains where we require less temperature and, and less energy. So we managed to get preserve the colors and the nutritional value in a, in a very, very interesting way. Amazing. So talk us through the, the cacao production. How does it start for people that aren't familiar? The, the cacao is a, is a fruit, isn't it? How, how often do the fruits, how often can you harvest the fruits? Well, in Peru, we have uh, mainly two harvests. The the main harvest is between April and May, and the small harvest is around October. But we, as, as the, the harvest season is more or less three months, four months, so you, you, we begin to get some mango by the end of February, and then it begins to pick up. Some areas begin harvesting before the others. And uh, so I think it's maybe eight eight months a year we, we can get supply of somehow, and the other uh, four months we keep stock to be able to um, not, not complicate our, our clients with uh, uh, availability. No? But there are two main harvests, um, and then the, the the cacao is grown in in pots, as you know, which. Uh, have the cacao inside, so the farmers would uh, break the pods on the fields and transport the cacao um, to the fermentation uh, facilities, which are very close to the farm, farm farms. And at the fermentation facilities, the cacao is fermented and sun dried, and then we take it to our processing facility in Cajamarca, where we finish the the process. We do the nips, the powder, the butter, and the paste. When they um, ferment, the, they just ferment the beans, don't they? So what happens to the fruit? Um, yes, they, they ferment the beans and the pot and the rest of the fruit remains on the farm. And normally it's, it's, it is composted by the farmers uh, to use as manure in future crops. So uh, that, that, the, the, the cacao pot itself never leaves the farm. It's only the cacao beans. So, do people not eat the fruit? Is it not considered delicious? Um, more than the fruit, it's the it's the it's like a skin, you know, an outer layer, uh-huh. uh, which is uh, there's been several trials to do uh, pet food, and uh, but it's, they have never been very successful. Uh, so, uh, mainly the the pod is used for compost. And then how long do you ferment the bean for? The fermentation varies uh, between five to eight days. And it's very important to monitor this process because throughout the process uh, to do a raw cacao powder, for example, there are three uh, critical uh, stages or processes where high temperatures may, may be applied or may occur. So we have to monitor those very carefully. Fermentation is one of them, uh, because if we do not uh, rotate and, and monitor fermentation temperatures, could go above five, uh, 50 degrees Celsius. The other critical uh, moment for, for temperatures is roasting the cacao, because cacao is roasted the same as we roast coffee. And the other critical moment is the pressing of the cacao to do the butter and the powder. Mm-hmm. So we control uh, all of these three processes in a way uh, we can guarantee that the temperatures never exceed uh, 45 degrees Celsius. Amazing, amazing. 
And um, with the fermentation, what was I going to say? Um, oh yeah, people um, people worry about salmonella with cacao. Do you have um, things in place to ensure that there's no growth of salmonella? Yes, in general, uh, most of the sterilization technology available is related to high temperatures. So it's having a raw product uh, implies being extra careful with the with the microbiological count in general. No, salmonella is one of the variables we analyze, but also uh, molds and yeast and uh, bacteria in general, E. coli have to be very, very well uh, closely monitored. Uh, the easy, the obvious thing is that we always do a microbiological analysis per lot to guarantee that the final product has no, uh, has very low microbiological count. But in general, the most important thing is to be very careful throughout the process. Mm -hmm. And our facilities, uh, BRC certified, uh, BRC stands for British Retail Consortium, and oh. it's one of the most uh, sophisticated quality control uh, certifications in the food industry. Mm -hmm. So we monitor each process in order to uh, guarantee that the microbiological counts, including listeria, salmonella, E. coli, are below below the required uh, standards. Brilliant, brilliant. So, so we've got our fermented beans, so talk us through what happens next. Well, uh, the, the, we ferment the beans in these uh, wooden boxes. I'll, I'll send you some photos. Uh, and uh, in these wooden boxes, we put a thermometer and we go monitoring the, the, the temperature. As soon as we see that it begins to get close to 45 degrees Celsius, we mix it around to cool it down and then the, first, the fermentation continues. So we're almost once or twice a day mixing the cacao beans inside the fermentation chambers uh -huh. uh, as, uh, every time the temperature begins to increase. And then uh, that cacao is sun-dried and uh, packed and sent to our facilities. So the fermentation and the, and the sun-dried is then close to the cacao farms. Uh -huh. In our case, uh, close to San Martin, which is a region, and Tocache would be the small town where we source cacao from. We chose that area because it has a low levels of heavy metals and the cacao is amazing. It's a fine aroma of cacao, the flavor and the, and the specifications are always very constant from lot to lot. So all our cacao comes from the same, the, the same origin, so we can say it's a single origin cacao. Um, and once the fermentation and finishes in Tocache, we send the cacao to our processing facility in Cajamarca. Mm -hmm. This is the one that's based uh, 3,000 meters above sea level. Um, again, very high in the Andean mountains. And here, uh, we wash the cacao beans, we disinfect them, and with that we reduce the microbiological charge. And then we, instead of roasting it, we, as everybody roasts cacao, instead of roasting it, we use a low temperature uh, dryers, and with those low temperature dryers, we manage to reduce the humidity uh, down to four, three percent, which is uh, very low. Yeah. So we, we instead of roasting, we dry at low temperatures with uh, air at 45 degrees Celsius. 
this is a problem if you uh, talk to a chocolatier because for chocolatiers roasting or toasting is one important process to develop the cacao aroma the same as in coffee mm. but the problem with roasting the cacao is that you destroy the nutritional content mm. normally roast at 200 degrees celsius which is a very high and at 200 degrees celsius no antioxidant survives uh, so the, the, one of the first things that we do differently, the, fir the first thing is we use a low, low fermentation, low temperature fermentation. The second is we do not roast, we uh, machine dry. The same dryers that we would use for the mango, for example, the raw mango, mm -hmm. are used to uh, low temperature dry the uh, raw cacao. And once we finish drying or we achieve the 3-4% humidity, we put the cacao beans in the winnower, which is a machine that uh, crushes the grain, the bean, and it has a vacuum which uh, lifts up the skin and then classifies the nibs by sizes. So we have three sizes, the extra large, the medium and the small. Uh, we normally would sell the nibs uh, as an extra large or medium, depending to, the client, uh, depending to your requirements. And then the small, would normally go to the cacao uh, mill, where we mill down, mill down the nibs into cacao paste. Mm -hmm. uh, this mill also uh, has to, we have to monitor temperature here, but we have we developed technology that in which we can graduate the speed of the mill, mm -hmm. uh, and then we have a cooling jacket. So we pump uh, we pump cold water into this jacket, uh, cooling down the cacao in this milling oh. process. Oh. And we also have uh, installed uh, thermocouples, which is like a thermometer that monitor the temperature of the cacao. So currently we have already figured out the speed and the time that we need to leave the cacao in the cacao, in the, in the cacao mill. But initially we had to reduce the speed, increase the, the cooling system until we managed to get the, the right proportion of speed and cooling. So after the meal, we get the raw cacao paste or raw cacao liquor. Sorry, which, before which, we get into that, can we just go back? There was a few things that you said I just had some questions about. When you said you disinfected the um, beans, how do you disinfect them? We use um, uh, organically approved uh, disinfectants, um, which we send to our... our um, which we send to our organic uh, certifying body, and we get approval uh, to use them, um, and in very low proportions. It's important to also not state, uh, uh, also mention because we know it's a concern from some of our clients. They ask what what kind of water do we use? Is the water treated or yeah. isn't it treated? Uh, and we say, well, yes, the water is treated by our local water supply company. And the water, local water supply company does apply some chlorine in the water as it's normal in er everywhere. Uh -huh. But we do uh, monitor the residue chlorine in the cacao, uh -huh. and we can issue a statement where we, where we, by a lab, where we can see that there's no residue chlorine Amazing. in the product. Amazing. And before, when you were talking about where the cacao is actually grown, and you mentioned something about the soil. Sometimes people are concerned that cacao might have high levels of lead or arsenic or 
cadmium. So would that be because of the soil where it's grown and because because your area is is very clean that it, there's no there's none of that in the cacao. Yes, we I have a study I can send it to your email. Uh, where uh, done uh, with a together with the German German cooperation, uh, where the soil from three cacao production areas were analyzed: uh, Cajamarca, uh, Amazonas, and San Martín. And the conclusion was that the San Martín region is the one that has a lower cadmium and uh-huh. a lead in the soil. Uh-huh. So that's why we're focusing in this area. To have a, a lower count of cadmium and lead. Brilliant. And you also mentioned the variety of cacao. Again, that's something that people kind of debate which is the best variety. Do you want to tell us, is it Criollo yours? Yes, it's uh, Criollo. Uh, I would say that uh, more than saying which variety is better or worse, it's important for the, the uh, most of the aromas developed in the process. For example, one common mistake uh, which is that is all the cacaos are fermented the same time, eight days. But some varieties require less days, some require more days. So uh, if you ferment the cacao in a proper way, uh, the, the flavor obtained is very, very good. I've, I've seen uh, Forastero varieties or Trinitario varieties or hybrid varieties uh, grown in special areas that you could that the aroma is amazing, and I've also seen a cacao criollo, uh, which is very astringent and has a very aggressive flavor uh, from other areas. Um, so I haven't been able to sta- uh, develop a standard rule uh, only attributed to variety, and so I've never been able to say this variety is good because, like, for example, there's an area here in Peru named the Brae, Brae which is B-R-A-E, uh-huh. which has a, a, a Criollo variety that I find not very pleasant. And there's other areas uh, that have uh, Criollo, which is amazing. So uh, depending on the area, you will have very good or very bad uh, aroma and taste. Oh. What, what we... Uh, the Criollo variety is a variety native to Peru, uh, and we state that we, our cacao is a hundred is is uh, Criollo. But due to cross pollination and neighbor farms, there's always a por- percentage of cacao which is not Criollo. Uh-huh. Um, but that's very common. So the people that have uh, managed to visit a lot of farms in South America mainly they will know that it's almost impossible to find a farmer that has only one variety. Right. Uh, normally, you walk through the farms and you'll see uh, cacao of different varieties. Normally, the, the Criollo variety has a more yellow-colored pot and the Trinitario has a more red-colored pot. So, as you'll see in the, the photos and the videos I, I've sent you, uh, most are yellow, but there are some red... Uh, pods also in the fields. Interesting. So, can you talk us through how it's made into powder and butter? Can you explain that process? Yes, so going back to Cajamarca, to our processing plant, uh, as I mentioned, we, uh, instead of roasting the cacao, we dry it at low temperatures, then we put it it in the winnowing, where we get the cacao nibs, Mm. and then the cacao nibs are crushed, crushed in the 
in the mill and turn it into cacao liquor or cacao paste, which is the same thing. Once you have the cacao paste, we'll put it in the conch machine, leave it there for 24 hours for the aromas to develop. And once you have the liquor and the paste, uh, all of the paste in the in the conch, we'll put it into the presses. The press would be one of the most difficult things to get wrong, uh, because in a standard cacao press, you use a 500 bar of pressure, which is a, a lot, a, a 500 bar of pressure, and that definitely means that you have a high temperatures. At the 500 bar, you manage to get an industrial cacao powder that has 10% of fat in it. So what we do is we reduced considerably the the press the pressure in the press, in, and also put a, te- a thermometer inside the press to measure uh, monitor the temperature in the press. And we went down from high 500 to 400 to 300 to 200, and way below 200 uh, bar, we managed to have um, uh, a cacao that never went over 45 degrees Celsius. Yeah. What we what what did we lose? We we lost a lot of efficiency in the way because if you use a 500 bar, you could press in five minutes. Mm. Uh, by using a lower pressure, it takes us one hour. Right. So um, it takes us 30 times more <laughs> uh, time to be able to to get yeah. the same cacao powder, and then. The extraction rate of butter is not as good. Our cacao powder has maybe twenty percent fat instead of ten percent, because uh, because we use a lower pressure in the press, we don't manage to remove the butter in such an efficient way, which is in a way very nice because uh, because of having twenty percent butter in the cacao powder. The flavor is much more rich. Yeah. Uh, so that another important thing is always monitoring the amount of butter in the powder. And you'll see that normally in the market, the industrial cacao has between 10 and 12 percent fat or butter in the powder. Yeah. Our raw natural cacao powder goes between 20 and 24. Uh, uh, residual butter in the powder. Oh, amazing. Wow. So, um, it's not just cacao you do as well, isn't it? Can you talk us through some of the other things you do? You mentioned the mango. Um, what, are the, what are the other things that you produce? We structure our product line in three categories. We do the... Uh, the Andean grains, which would be quinoa, chia, caniwa, which is amazing, which is a relative of the quinoa, yeah. but with higher percentage of protein, okay. and we do amaranth. Uh-huh. And that we do in the grain production facility we have in Lima. And in Cajamarca, we do raw dried superfoods and raw cacao. In the raw dried superfoods, we do golden berries, maca, Mango, yacon, aguaje, sachain, camu-camu, lukma, mesquite. Uh, and then we have the raw cacao line where we do the nips, the butter, the paste, and the powder. Amazing. Wow. Can you just so it's very important to, 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 
uh, for uh, mentioned that we we have this uh, BRC certification, yeah. which is very very important in the quality control area. Uh, any any uh, buyer that's uh, very well informed uh, will know what the BRC certification is, and we'll know how it implies that uh, we have to have a, a top uh, facility that complies with all uh, food regulations, because it's important uh, to, to be able to, for us to uh, transmit confidence to, to, to the client, not to the end user. Talk us through, because um, people are now familiar with things like Maca and Chia, but I know Yakon is one of those that still kind of hasn't hit the mainstream in the UK, but I, I love it. I use it a lot. Can you just talk us through a little bit about what Yakon is and why it's so special? Well, in general, you have uh, the, the main sugar types are glucose, saccharose, and fructose. Between the three, obviously fructose is always healthier. Um, but Yakon has fructose that has a very special kind of sugar named fructo oligosaccharium, or we could say FOS, uh-huh. to make it simpler. <laughs> and this FOS is a sugar molecule, a fructose sugar molecule, which is so big that you can always almost almost see it with a magnifying glass. Uh, it's a very big molecule that can go through your digestive system without being assimilated. This means that obviously the, it's low, low carbohydrates, but it also means that uh, people that with uh, diabetics can, can consume it. And then the final thing is once this FOS sugar molecule goes into your large intestine, it becomes soluble fiber uh, and also uh, prebiotic. Uh-huh. So it's amazingly good for the digestive system because it's a prebiotic and soluble fiber. And what form does it come in? You do yakon slices and yakon syrup, is it? We do yakon powder, yakon slices and yakon syrup. Uh-huh. With the yakon syrup, we've always had problems finding raw yakon syrup before. So how do you produce yours? What, what's the method for production? Yes, getting it raw is always uh, difficult because yakon syrup is basically uh, evaporated at boiling temperature. So... Then going back to the example I did you on Mount Everest, mm. uh, what we do is we have a vacuum concentrator which has a vacuum pump. And the vacuum pump takes away pressure and it takes away so much pressure that the, the, the cacao begins to boil at 40 degrees Celsius. Wow. So it boils and boils for about 10 hours. Wow. And we get the... We, uh, we get the the raw cacao, but it, as we have this vacuum pump, it boils at 40 degrees Celsius. Wow, amazing. Did you just have to research for ages? This was all just your research and trial and error? Because presumably this, this was yes. a commonplace or this equipment. And also very interesting conversations with universities and researchers. Yeah. Most of our knowledge in India yeah. comes from a researcher that has diabetics. She, she works in the yeah. International Potato Center. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done a lot of research in Yakult. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh, he was the one that explained, explained us the, the importance of preserving this FOS yeah. sugar, which is uh, very good, but also very sensible to temperatures. If you 
uh, get the FOS and um, put high temperatures, you break it down to glucose and saccharose. So, preserving the FOS means using low temperatures. Mm -hmm. So, you, you mentioned your BRC um, certification. Do you want to tell us a bit about your uh, organic credentials and fair trade? Um, our, we began first with the organic production. We, we named it our, organ, our organic production system. Uh, we group, currently group about uh, 800 small farmers that uh, crop, that, that harvest all the products that we purchase. Mm -hmm. So sorry, is that eight, then, uh, sorry, is that 800 actual farms? Yes, wow. 800 farms. Wow. Uh, and uh, what we do is we implemented a system to be able to control and monitor our organic production uh, system. So we have uh, four people, uh, four te uh, uh, technical assistants, they go to the farms and give technical assistance to the farmers. We also have a greenhouse in, in, together next to our processing facility where we, uh, where we grow small plants to give them free of any charge to the farmers. We also manage the logistics from 62 farming communities to our processing factory. We send uh, two or three trucks every day. Uh, so we purchase the product on the farm for each farmer. And that program well, uh, began in 2008 with uh, one farmer, and then next year we went to 32, and then <laughs> next year to 70, yeah. 79. And then when we did the fair trade, we didn't change things around. So we added the fair trade standard to the organic and changed the name of the program to Sustainable Production Program. So what we would call sustainable production program is just adding up organic plus fair trade, plus other things that we're concerned uh, about. So we have a system of auditing, monitoring 800 farmers and training in order to be able to get to be compliant with organic certification and fair trade certification in the same effort. So just to be clear, because this is a point that people do get concerned about, the, the, the growth of interest in all these crops is really helping and benefiting the, the local communities, right? Yes, they, totally. We, we are based in Cajamarca, which is unfortunately the poorest region in Peru. Uh -huh. uh, and we began there mainly uh, because of the commitment of the company towards development. We, at the beginning, were more focused on uh, social development than in, in full export. Uh, and, and what we found out in Cajamarca is that farmers were growing, for example, potatoes uh, at uh, 4,000 meters above sea level and only getting eight tons per hectare, yeah. where in the coast you get 30 tons. Right. And in the United States, we, you get 60 tons. Wow. So Peru has a free trade treaty with the United States. We get we import very cheap uh, fries and potato <laughs> products from the United States. And then you have the farmers in, Peru, in the Peru coastal area, which have more than three times more productivity. Uh, so the farmers in the highland were always working below the break-even point, no? losing money. Yeah. 
and, and then a lot of problems getting seeds to continue growing potatoes. And every time they harvested their potatoes, they lost money. Uh. So what we, what we do is we come in with our program and we certify the, the farmer as organic. And then that, that, as, as, as it's interesting to be able to supply uh, to you maybe our golden berries and our mango and our maca, mm. it's more important to go to the farmer and offer them more than one crop. Because, as you know, in organic farming, crop rotation is a, a very important parameter. So we would not be able to call ourselves truly organic if we were only purchasing one product to the farmer. Right. Because how would the farmer do crop rotation? Right. Uh, so what we do is we try to go to a farmer and offer him two or three products, depending on the, on the climate of the area. So in the farmers in the highlands, he will grow a quinoa and maca, for example. If he's in the mid-range uh, area, maybe three or two thousand meters, he will do goldenberries and yakon. If he's in the lower areas, he will do lukma, for example, and mesquite. If he's on the other side of the Andean mountain, going down to the jungle, he will do sachainchi and cacao, for example. Uh, so it's a very although it's difficult to implement, uh, it's very important for us. Mm. Uh, to be able to buy more than one product to the farmer and promote more than one product to the farmer. That way, we mitigate, uh, we comply with organic mm -hmm. certification, we mitigate the environmental and commercial problem, uh, and we generate a lot of synergies and efficiencies. So the, the truck goes to pick up the produce and we pick up two things instead of one, and we maximize the usage of the field. Um, so yes, this is a, a program that we have in place for nine years now, and uh, the results have been amazing. We, we received a visit from the University of Michigan in the United States, yeah. where they did a case study of how this uh, program uh, contributed to improve the quality of life in children below eight years, yeah. and, the, and the results are amazing. We have it on our web page. And, uh, it was very nice to know that without knowing, we were helping to introduce fruits in the high, highlands. No? Because yeah. normally the doctors in the highlands had problems because they said you have to consume fruits, but fruits are normally grown in the coast. Yeah. So the access to fruits were, uh, it was very limited. But as promoting goldenberries, for example, in the highlands, we managed to uh, make fruits available in the highlands. And uh, because of the, the farmers being focused in organic farming, the kids in school began uh, focusing in recycling and uh, began recycling at school because they saw that their fathers had uh, compost and, and special places to put the plastic waste and special places to put the, uh, the metal waste. Yeah. So yeah, the, 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 the results were, uh, we were very happy to see all the indirect uh, benefits that we were helping to create. I'm just thinking from what you've said it sounds like your entire operation is organic and vegan and raw, is that correct? Um, organic, yes, for, uh, for the, the raw, for example, if we can, we can always put more temperature in the oven and what we do is we manage to reduce the cost, the production cost. No? Uh -huh. So, uh, for example, in Maca, if we do it raw, it takes us about 16 hours to dry. 
if we do if we rise the temperature to eighty degrees Celsius, we we manage to dry it in six seven hours. Uh-huh. So that so it's kind of cheaper. No? So sometimes mainly because of the economic pressure yeah. to to work the factory, we some some people say no, I'm not very interested in raw, and uh-huh. we we'll do a special production of non raw. Uh-huh. That's why you you will see there are probably some products that are not raw. Uh-huh. It's it's only because we increase the, the temperatures to reduce costs. Um, but the, the focus and the way that we've designed the company is to be able to do everything raw because if we're selling superfoods, to me it doesn't make much sense destroying the nutritional content in the process. No? So uh, every, we, we, we can offer all our products raw, uh, definitely vegan because we don't process any any uh, any uh, obviously any any food product in in the, in the facility. And we're also allergen free because we don't process any allergen product in our in our facility. We're also uh, non-GMO because, uh, well, fortunately, Peru is a non-GMO country. We have legislation that forbids it, uh, and we're no uh, there's no we're also gluten, no gluten uh, in any of our products. So we are non-GMO, non-gluten, uh, vegan, raw, organic, fair trade facility. And just to be clear as well, this is outstanding in the industry, isn't it? This isn't common practice in any way. <laughs> no, most of uh, Peru is a very centralized country, uh, maybe a bit like uh, the UK or even worse. Uh, one third of the population lives in Lima, mm. the same uh, as in London being a very important city. And Lima is in the coast area uh, at sea level. And most of, our, of the people that export superfoods are based in Lima. Mm-hmm. And Lima has uh, almost 100% humidity. So you have to rise the temperature a lot in the, in the dryers in order to be able to dehydrate. So, yes, fortunately, we're one of the, I think the only other, or maybe there's one other company based in the mountains, uh, very high. That means that we can use less uh, energy, temperature uh, to, to dehydrate. We managed to preserve the nutritional content in a very nice way. And that also stands for the superfoods and for the cacao. Mm. Well, thank you so much. That's been so fascinating. And as I said, just amazing to really get all this information after working with raw chocolate for so long. It's, it's wonderful to speak with someone who has such transparency and, and authenticity. Is there anything we didn't cover? Anything else you wanted to add? No, I think uh, well, it's been uh, very, very, very nice to uh, talk to you. I think we've managed to go through most of our operation. And just uh, I wanted to thank you because uh, it's uh, thanks to company like yours and, and and clients like the ones you have that uh, it's possible to, to make all the effort uh, to get these organic uh, raw superfoods processed. No? And it's difficult to find uh, people that value the effort done by by the farmers and the people that, w- that work in Vianina because uh, it's sometimes it's uh, tempting to buy the, the cheaper yeah. industrial product found in the market. No? Yeah. So, so yes, uh, thank you very much for your support and always rely on us for anything we can do from our side. Yeah, we have the best customers, let me just say that. The Royal Living customers are the best customers and I know they're really really appreciative of all the, the work that you and your farmers are putting in and I know they're going to be so fascinated to hear this interview, it's been, it's been wonderful, thank you so much Thank you Kate and very, uh, very nice talking to you and we'll keep in contact thank you.